This morning's scripture reading comes from 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 17. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me again? Father, we are grateful for your word that you have communicated to your people through the ages, that we pray now that your spirit would be illuminating that word, that it would turn into a lamp unto our feet and a guide unto our path so that we might live lives that are pleasing to you, our Lord and our Savior. Thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, Last summer in July, I found myself sitting around my mom's kitchen table with my brother and my sister and my mom. It was the the day after my dad's funeral, and we were sitting around and laughing, having a good time, telling stories about my dad. He had a lot of quirks that we were able to remind ourselves of, and he went through a whole phase where he wore berets every day. We're not French. I don't know why. Uh, Lots of things like that that just made us laugh. But we also took time to go through some things that my dad wanted each of us to have. Uh, For me, I I got a pocket watch that had been handed down to the eldest son for, I think, six generations now. And I'll hand it on to my son, and he'll hand it on to the oldest in that generation, and and so on and so on. Uh, There's also a few things that uh, were not particular to each one of us, but we, we shared. So my dad had several guns that had belonged to his father, and so we divvied up some of those. And knives. My dad had dozens of knives because he, as a hobby, was a knife maker. And these knives were in various states of completion. And so we got to take some of those. And, and then each one of me and my brother and sister, we each took one of my dad's Bibles. My dad was a pastor and he had Bibles. He had Bibles that he studied with, Bibles that he preached from. Uh, the Bible I took was... Not a particularly special Bible. I could go and buy one just like it at a bookstore. It did have sermon notes in it. A sermon that he preached at the funeral of one of my best friends. Uh, The Bible is special. But what's actually more special is the heritage that it represents. The legacy of loving, cherishing, being committed to the authority of Scripture. Uh, The passage that we're looking at this morning, 2 Timothy 3, 
is a passage that's used in seminary classrooms across the world to teach about the inspiration and the authority of Scripture. But here in this context, in a church on Sunday morning, it does even more than that. It, it calls us to cherish Scripture as a treasure and to pass on that treasure to the next generation. It calls us to take up the responsibility of passing on a love and commitment to the authority of Scripture. It reminds us that that's the responsibility of the natural nuclear family, moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, and also of the spiritual family, which is the church. It's our responsibility to pass this on to the next generation. Uh, this morning's message can be broken down into kind of three sections. Exploring, I want to explore what this passage says about the Word of God. A little bit of meddling, the next section. You could call it application, I'll call it meddling. And then the third section is an apology. First, let's take a few minutes and explore what it is about Scripture that makes it a treasure worth passing on. Why is it so valuable that we ought to take that responsibility to pass it on seriously? Well, first, Scripture is a map, I would say the map, to salvation. In this passage that was read, Paul reminds Timothy that he had been trained in holy scriptures from infancy. It's actually a really good passage for Mother's Day. Because from other parts of this letter, we know that it was his mother Eunice and his grandma Lois that taught him scriptures from his infancy. And these scriptures, Paul says, are able to make us wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Elsewhere, Paul refers to Scripture as a tutor that guides us to Christ. And here's where I hate preaching in two services. Because in the first service, I used an illustration that was absolutely horrible. And between services, I couldn't think of any better illustration. So here I have to use it again. Not much good came out of the 80s, in my opinion. The music was awful. The hairstyles were atrocious. Clothing was... Oh, deal with it. You know it's true. But the movies were pretty good. Right? Remember the movie The Goonies? Fantastic movie from the 80s. These kids grew up in this town, and everybody in the town had heard the legend of One-Eye Willie and his treasure hidden somewhere in the town. But it wasn't until they found the map that they could get to the treasure. We have all kinds of clues about who God is, about what kind of God he is in creation, in providence, in one another. But only in Scripture do we have a clear guide to salvation. The Westminster Confession of Faith says it really well. It says, Although the light of nature and the works of creation and of providence 
do manifest the goodness and wisdom and power of God, yet they are not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and of his will which is necessary for salvation. In Scripture, it's a treasure because it guides us to salvation. Now, so that we don't think Scripture is only useful until we cross the line of salvation and once we're saved, well then, eh. We need to remind ourselves of how the Bible uses the word salvation. It uses it in all three tenses. We were saved. We crossed the point of the line of death into life. But also we're in the process of being saved. And that process will not be complete until the return of our Lord Jesus Christ when we will be saved. Future tense. Paul says that scripture is able to make us wise unto salvation. Not just to getting us to cross that line of faith but to guide us all the way through the Christian life to the point where our salvation comes to completion and fruition. Scripture is able to make us wise unto salvation. I think it's also important to note what Paul meant when he said Scripture. What is he referring to? What portion of the Bible Well, certainly now we can look at it and say, well, all of the Bible. But when Paul wrote it, he was referring to the Old Testament. Much of the New Testament hadn't even been written yet, let alone been dispersed through the ancient Near East. Paul is writing to Timothy and saying, Scripture, all of it. But in Timothy's mind, that meant the the Old Testament is useful because it guides you salvation. This past year, a, a popular author came out and encouraged the church to unhitch themselves from the Old Testament. Just kind of move on past it. Let me just say, I think that is atrocious advice. All scripture, all scripture makes us wise unto salvation. Don't unhitch it, cherish it, treasure it, and hand it off to the next generation. Second reason why Scripture is to be treasured and passed on. Because Scripture is ultimately authored by God. In Paul's language, it's God-breathed. It's inspired We make a lot of the human authors of Scripture. We do a lot of study about their language, and we should, so that we can understand it well. We do a lot of study about their culture, their context, the reasons that they wrote the way they wrote. Those are all good and necessary studies, I think, so that we can understand the texts and what they mean well. But ultimately, it's God who stands behind those human authors as the ultimate divine author. And we can, never div- we can never forget the divine side of that economy. Uh, I'll confess that I'm guilty of doing what I think a lot of lazy, tired parents do. 
I often send my kids to run errands for me, to deliver messages to their siblings. So if I'm upstairs, I might send Luke down to the basement to tell his brother to get off the PlayStation. Now you could plug in any of these names, it works just the same. Usually the way this goes is Luke goes down to the basement and says, Jake, get off the PlayStation. And Jake says, I just got on four hours ago. You can have it when I'm done. And then Luke responds, Dad said, get off the PlayStation. Or some scenario like that. See, there's a difference there. Because siblings don't really have authority over one another. But he's just the messenger. He's going with my authority. I stand behind him, and so, of course, they obey and submit. Right? Of course. The PlayStation is instantly off. No more discussion. No, behind the words of Scripture, behind Paul or Moses or Peter's admonitions, is divine authority. Authority to command and demand obedience. David Bebbington, who is a historian, has famously described evangelicals with four kind of academic words. One, he says they're, they're crucicentric, which means they're focused on the cross. And Bob talked about that last week as a part of this series, Just the Essentials. He also says that evangelicals are biblicists, which means they go to Scripture as their final and ultimate authority. And we do so because we understand that ultimately it is authored by our Lord. Again, the Westminster Confession, I think, says it really well. Westminster Confession says the authority of Holy Scripture for which it ought to be believed and obeyed depends not on the testimony of any man or the church, but wholly upon God, who is truth itself. He is its author, and therefore it is to be received because it is the word of God. So we treat Scripture as a treasure because it's, a, it's the map to salvation and because it's inspired. It's breathed out by God himself. And third, because it's useful in equipping us to be who we were meant to be. Now, if we're completely honest, Scripture isn't useful for everything we want to make it useful for. A few months ago, I was in a supermarket checkout line, and I saw a little magazine, pamphlet kind of thing that said, lose Bible, no, not lose Bible, lose weight the biblical way. That's just really dumb. The Bible is not useful as a diet plan. It's not useful to describe the motions of planets. It never, it's not even interested in describing the motions of planets. It's not useful for teaching us how to legislate well. It has no interest in those things. The Bible's not useful for everything we want it to be useful for. 
And not every passage of Scripture is useful in the same way as every other passage. Sometimes when I'm reading through Leviticus, and I'm reading about sacrifices or about how to deal with mold, I wonder myself, how is this useful? But even there, it's useful because it's teaching us about God, about how he interacts with his people, how he wants them to be a special people. All scripture is useful because it's teaching us, it's equipping us to be who we were meant to be. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. That is, it is, for, it is by grace that you have been saved. Through faith, this isn't of yourself so that no one can boast. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared beforehand for us to do. Here in this passage, Paul is telling Timothy, that scripture is useful because it's preparing you, it's equipping you to do good works. That's why we were created and redeemed to do good works. And scripture is useful in equipping us to be who we were meant to be. Okay. Those are the three reasons that I see from this text why scripture is a treasure to be handed off to the next generation. But let me do a little bit of meddling now and ask a couple questions. First, to you parents, are you teaching your children the Bible? Not only are you teaching them the contents of the Bible, are you teaching them to love it and to obey it? You teach them those things formally, I'll use that word, sitting down and teaching them the stories of Scripture. You teach them with how you live in compliance with Scripture, too. Every few months, it seems like there's a, a new article that, that comes out about how young people are leaving the church, you know, kind of en masse, and how the church is to blame for that. And we're doing things all wrong. And I'll be honest, I think there are things the church ought to do better in reaching younger generations. But maybe part of the problem is us parents. That we're not training our children up in the faith well anymore. We all need to take some of that responsibility could it be that we're just not teaching our kids Scripture and to love and to submit to Scripture in our natural families and in our spiritual family? In this passage, it's just tremendous to me how Paul can give so much credit to Timothy's mom and grandma. They're the ones that trained him in Scripture's from infancy, it says. But beyond mom and grandma, the Apostle Paul also calls Timothy my spiritual son. It reminds us that it's not just the, not just the responsibility of kind of biological families, but of the church family. So if you're here and you have no children, or your children are grown and gone, 
you still have a responsibility to pass on your faith to the next generation. Second question. Uh, We say that the Bible is authoritative, and we submit to the Bible. There's there's a picture that comes out of, that wasn't the question, I'll get to the question in a second. Uh, There's a picture that comes out of church history. Decades, centuries ago in, in Scotland, churches would begin, and the pastor would walk into the service from the back, carrying the word of God over his head. And come to the pulpit and lay it down and then preach from it. It, it was a sign that we're under the authority of scripture. I love it. But we give lip service to that. But are we growing? Or are we making an effort to grow in a knowledge of what scripture teaches and what it requires of us? Every once in a while, you'll, you'll be listening to a, a baseball game or a basketball game or a football game, and, and a commentator will refer to someone as a real student of the game. Yeah, they're a fantastic athlete, but they know the game inside and out. They know the history. They know the stats. They, they know the game. They're a student of the game. I'd love to be described as a student of the game, a student of the word, a student of the life, Charles Spurgeon, old pastor, described John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, as a man who, if you cut him, would bleed the Bible. His blood was bibline, he said. I would love that to be true of me and to be true of us. If we say that we submit to the authority, that we have a high regard for Scripture, Are we taking that responsibility to train ourselves, to learn, to feed ourselves in Scripture seriously? And then the third question, are we actively resisting Scripture's authority in some area of our life? Are there areas of our lives where we know what Scripture teaches and commands And we're resisting. If so, the only proper response is confession and repentance. Because that is sin and rebellion. So do we really have a high view of Scripture's authority? Okay, I'm done meddling. Now I'll apologize. But I'm not apologizing for meddling. Uh, I'm going to apologize in the old sense of the word, to make an apology, to give a defense of Scripture. Why do we believe and trust and commit ourselves to Scripture? A hundred years ago, to say the Bible says carried a lot of weight in our culture. Not so much so anymore, right? Fifty years ago, saying the Bible says carried a lot of weight in the church. And I'm not so confident it does anymore. Sometimes the reaction comes back, well, so? 
Why do I need to care? Why do I need to believe and obey what the Bible says? For me, that answer begins with the resurrection. I am wholeheartedly committed to the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For me, the existence of the church makes no sense if Jesus didn't walk out of the grave. Because Jesus walked out of the grave, I then believe that he is who he said he was, the incarnate Son of God. Because I believe he is who he said he was, then I can ask, well, how did he, how did he treat Scripture? We see throughout the Gospels, he revered Scripture. He said, not one jot or tittle, not one iota will pass from Scripture. It'll all be fulfilled. It's all the Word of God. I submit myself to the Word of God. So why do I believe Scripture? Because I believe Jesus. I believe he is who he said he was, and I believe what he said about the Bible is true. But I can go even beyond that. I believe Scripture because it matches with the world I experience. If I read Scripture and I say, okay, if what Scripture says is true, what would the world look like? If God really did create in goodness, but that goodness was subject to decay and pollution through sin, what would that look like? And if God was choosing a people to bring a message of redemption to the world, what would that look like? And what I see Scripture describing the world, how I see Scripture describing the world, matches with how I experience the world. They align. But finally, my trust in Scripture doesn't just re rely, rest on those kind of logical arguments. It goes to the internal testimony of the Holy Spirit. When I read Scripture, the Spirit confirms it to me. This has the ring, the weight of truth. Again, in danger of overquoting the Westminster Confession of Faith, I think it says it really well. It says, Our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth and divine authority is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit, which bears witness by and with the Word in our hearts. The more I know Scripture, the more I'm convinced of Scripture's truthfulness. So why do we submit? Why do we obey Scripture? Because Jesus did, because it matches reality, and because the Spirit teaches us that it's true. Trusting the authority of Scripture, submitting to it, obeying it, has been a hallmark of the evangelical faith from the beginning. I pray that by God's grace and through our faithfulness, it will continue to be a hallmark of the evangelical faith for generation after generation after generation. Would you pray with me?
Father, you have spoken, you've commanded. We pray that you would find us faithful. And we pray that it wouldn't be a begrudging faithfulness, but it would be one that cherishes the truth that you've spoken to us. You have laid out a, a, a map to salvation for us, a map to life in its fullness in your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that we would take these things to heart, and not only that, that we would so treasure them that we would pass them on to the next generations so that they can treasure them as well. Father, we pray that through your Spirit, we would submit to the authority of Scripture, knowing that it is your authority. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.